welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Hey, and welcome to episode 54 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. How are you, Rich? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. I'm in Orlando for uh, WPC this week, at least for a couple days, and then uh, off to sunny Seattle. So I was there last week for the NASCAR, and, and now you're there this week for work. It's pretty hot still there, right? Yeah, you know, I haven't been outside that much, uh, but it does seem hot, and um, it's sunny. You know, we don't have like the storm of the century that it looked like you had on the beach <laughs> yeah. yeah it was uh pretty pretty intense there. well like i saw cj was moaning on facebook about how how warm it was there and how he can't wait to get out yeah so you know luckily at least i, I think this is one where um, most people pretty much have to drive to get to the conference center there's not a lot of walking outside like there is in in vegas so uh hopefully everyone's staying cool here and um and what are, what are your kind of role? What, what kind of things are you doing there? Are you just meeting with partners? And That's right. Yeah. You know, um, being in DX, uh, you know, really one of our biggest focuses is ISVs. And ISVs are a type of partner, right? Microsoft has all different partners like SIs and ISVs. And so, um, you know, there's quite a few uh, ISVs that are here. So just meeting with them and seeing, you know, what they're working on and how we can work together this next fiscal year. So it's a exciting time. Lots of cool. Did you watch any of the keynote this week? I will admit I laid in bed a little bit later this morning. And so when I was getting ready, I just was flicking through the tweets and the tweets were a really easy way of keeping up with what was announced actually. But um, there were some pretty cool things talked about. Yeah, there, there, there was, you know, they, they even announced a completely new skew of Office 365. So there will be, now there's, there's been an E3 and an E4, and now there is an, an E5. My joke is we're going to end up at like E365. <laughs> get up there eventually. Hopefully that doesn't, doesn't take too long to get there. But that, I think it's cool that we're improving what's going on there. It's a big show. I think there's over 25,000 people there or something. And there's a ton of sessions. I know Jim Epps has got a session on from our team on kind of office development all up and focusing on the store and what opportunities there are there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, there was, um, uh, you know, in terms of the, the the keynote on day one, it was had a lot of office love in it. I mean, Julia White was on stage almost half the time and um, John Case had a, got to kind of close the show. On, on day one. So there was quite a bit of office love. You know, I, I was kind of in and out because I had other meeting things, but one of the cool things, um, and I saw Dane Holm kind of um, tweeting about this was, uh, and, and I haven't been able to see all of it. You might know more than me, but um, Gig Jam was basically kind of a new um, concept that we announced. Um, and there's a, there's a blog post out on TechNet. I haven't had a chance to, to read it, but it looked in the productivity space. So I wasn't really sure how it um, kind of played in. So hopefully our listeners go check out Gig Jam. It looks like it was pretty cool. Uh, Dan certainly liked it. And I saw the tail end of it, which looked pretty cool. Yeah, the, the, the video is actually online for where Julia does demo it. And it's very clever how it does it kind of cross device. And 
security trims, what you're sharing, even down to a row level was the demonstration that Julia did. So um, I was actually talking to Ben Waters, who is kind of looks after a lot of the demos in these keynotes. He's also from Australia, actually. And um, he was talking about it with me over lunch on Thursday. And, you know, it sounded really cool in terms of where that's going. So I kind of like all these little things that we kind of ship in that way. I'm really into this toss-up app that um, Microsoft Labs have uh, shipped to the iOS and Android platform. I've been organizing, you know, dinners and beers with people. And the fact that, you know, people can go in and vote on what restaurant they want to go to or what bar they want to go to and pick a time and you know it kind of does all the crap you do by sms or email or facebook message in a lot easier way so kind of those kind of things whether it's productivity in personal or um work or school life is is really interesting in how much focus we're taking on that so um yeah we'll, we'll um i'll wait for wpc to be over and i'll put together a bunch of notes and we can talk about that a bit in more depth next week once all the videos have been streamed and available to everyone to go and download so um my week last week was actually quite busy although the school holidays are in play and everyone was kind of heads down on wpc and then we have an internal thing called mgx which is all for our sales field, which is actually going to be in Orlando as well. And then Tech Ready, which is our technical field staff, which come up to Seattle the last week in uh, this month. So with everyone's kind of heads down on that. But um, we were busy doing some revs to the dev.office.com site. So if you go to dev.office.com slash training now, you know, we've had over 80 hours of videos there for a while. Um, but I've been working with some guys externally, and Andrew Connell being the primary source here, to build out some new... Um, training content for the stuff that we announced at Build and Ignite. So the file handler, uh, the groups API, unified API endpoint, and the video APIs. And we've also revised the mail, calendar, and contacts API, which is for Exchange Online as well. Now, but the nice bit is, is we actually build all this content in GitHub. And we host all the videos on demand in Microsoft Virtual Academy, but all of our hands-on labs and our slide decks are all in GitHub. So as Andrew went through and updated that content, he submits pull requests to that repo and I review the content and approve it. But the nice thing about dev.office.com now is if you go there and you click on those hands-on labs inside any of those modules for that particular course, um, what you'll actually notice now is we crawl the hands-on labs from GitHub directly into dev.office.com. So from now on, we'll actually be sharing our hands on labs via these dev.office.com um, pages, which is a nice little addition because what it means is if you have any issues with the hands on labs, you can you know, submit pull requests for those changes, which a lot of people have actually been doing already. Um, but it also means that we'll get a bit better search engine love uh, now that the hands on lab content is crawled by our search engine and, and part of our dev.office.com experience so i'm hoping that'll improve the discovery ability of these labs a bit more and people see feel they're a bit more official now that they're not like sat within a github.com page and they've got all the branding and the the url of dev.office.com so that was pretty exciting this week as one thing i don't know if you did you see those this week rich um you know i i know obviously i, I work with you and andrew a decent amount so I, I knew they were in the works but i didn't know that we were we had published them, so that's uh, exciting news. So, I, you, and you guys, I'm guessing, are going to be following up and spending some studio time and getting MBA stuff kind of focused around these as well. Yeah. So we actually, he's coming up to speak at Tech Ready for us. So we're going to jump in the studio on the Monday of Tech Ready. Um, I was going to chat to you actually on whether you wanted to get some of that studio time as well, and so we're not talking all day long and getting tired. 
um, if you want to pick one of those up. So maybe we can chat after this. But yeah, the idea is we'll record those and then we're actually going to come in the studio again and refresh all the other courses as well because, you know, we've had updates to the mail, kind of the contacts APIs. There's been new things added to them and we want to make sure that we include those in the demos so that, you know, a first-time person who's looking at a training gets to see everything and not just what we recorded back in October of last year. Yeah, cool. So that was cool. And then the other one was the patterns and practices page. Uh, the the resources section got a, a bit of an overhaul. So at the top, we have sample scenarios, solutions, and guidance. Um, and what you'll notice there is in the guidance section, um, well, if you, yeah, sorry, if you go to the sample section, the guidance section, we've got a bunch of um, guidance around kind of best practices there. And you'll notice now that we're showing the top viewed guidance articles. And that's based on who, what, who's clicking on what. But on the filters now, we have something very similar to the code samples. We got feedback that it was really hard to navigate patterns and practices and try and find things on branding or find things on um, provisioning or find things on workflow and now we have like for instance I can go in and select the filters and select workflow here and as I do that it'll filter all my samples just purely down to uh, what what's available what samples we have that include workflow for instance so that was pretty cool and there's a few things we need to tweak in there in terms of the and or rules and the filters but it's a very cool way of kind of being able to pull and pull apart all the content that the PMP team are producing in a in a dynamic way um, through dev.office.com. So that was a big bit of feedback we had, which I did promise before the end of our financial year last year, which is the end of June, but we managed to kick it off with new budget and get it done within the first two weeks with the guys that we use here in Redmond. So that was really exciting to get that out the door. And then, so that's really dev.office.com news. But I think for me, like one of the, the biggest bits of news um, I had, which is I'm, I'm a big Mac user, and in actual fact, I bought an Apple Watch. I caved, Rich. I saw that. I um, My girlfriend wanted to buy a new Mac, and she wanted a MacBook. So we went in the Apple store, and I happened to ask the salesperson, you know, have you got any of the cheapest ones in stock? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we've got heaps. We just got them all in today, actually. And so they were like, we've got a black one with a black strap. So I picked that up for, I think it's 350 bucks and... Um, so far, so good. Um, I actually don't mind it. But back on topic, Office 2016 for the Mac has been made generally available. So if you're an Office 365 uh, subscriber, you can now go and download that from the portal when you go to portal.office.com slash home. Um, it's an option to download there now. And in the coming, I believe it's a month or so out, you'll actually be able to go to the App Store on OSX and purchase it outright. Right now, it's only available for Office 365 subscribers, and there'll be a bunch of other ways you can actually acquire um, the Office 2016 as well. So, and, and if you're a student, you get it for free as well through office.com slash student. So it's a really cool way of kind of acquiring those, acquiring that tech, and, and um, I've been using it for a long, long time in preview mode, and we have add-in support in Outlook, and Word, PowerPoint, Excel will get add-in support um, by the end of the year, uh, as well as... Um, what iOS is doing right now as well. So it's really exciting to see how we are kind of following that vision of releasing Office on all these platforms and having add-ins work across all those different platforms as well. Someone was telling me, I read it somewhere that um, I have it on, I have the preview installed on my MacBook Air and um, someone told me that you could just install over it. Like it's, you know, unlike some of the, you know, our other 
clients and things like that where you have to uninstall, reinstall this? It could just install over. Is that what you have found or is it? Uh, how did I do it? I think I did actually do that. It basically overrides the files. It's a little bit back, different on the Mac on how things work. But it did seem to handle the general availability fine. So it's um, super fast too. I mean, I have got the top MacBook Pro, you know, terabyte SSD, but it's, and I'm running it all on beta as well. So I've got the, my, actually it's a bit dangerous. My iPhone's on iOS 9, my watch is on oh, Watch 2, and my Mac is on El Capitan or however you're meant to pronounce it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bleeding edge on window on my Microsoft stack and my Mac stack. What could possibly go wrong, Rich? What could possibly go wrong? I don't know. You could never mind. I'm going to keep, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> you could, you could, you could shove chocolate into the USB slot. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I could have a chocolate bar in my laptop bag and put my Mac over the top of it whilst it was still on and melt the chocolate bar and let it go all through my Mac. Sounds like it may have happened, but Hey, let's move on. I, I think it may have done. I, I believe I still may owe you a beer for having the uh, patience to clean out my chocolate bar from said USB ports. <laughs> it still works. I know. Um, the other cool one this week that we announced was the um, activity and reporting capabilities uh, against the management activity API. So there's a bunch of reports you can get now in our admin console, but there's APIs that are available and there's 150 events you can filter on and, and use within your own products. And there's PowerShell commandlets and um, you know there's a whole API layer there that uses the same kind of authors Azure Active Directory and um, you know, they've got a bunch of samples there. So it's really exciting to see those things come out so we can start to automate um, all sorts of business logic based on activity that's going on in Office 365. And obviously our ISVs, our software vendors can build products that leverage that data and make business decisions on that as well and, and sell that to the ecosystem too. And um, did you get a chance to look at the community stuff this week? I think we've got five posts. We kind of, it's a bit, bit, bit slow. I think everyone's been busy, but... Were any ones that picked up um, in your fees this week? Yeah, um, you know, one of the ones, you know, while we're on the topic of, of Mac is um, Sahil posted uh, a, a blog post around, you know, being able to do debugging in Visual Studio Code. So I'm just now starting to get, you know, my hands dirty with Visual Studio Code. I know that others like Andrew Connell, like the day it was announced, installed it and changed his presentation for that day to use Visual Studio Code. But um, so he'll goes through some uh, kind of details of doing um, some debugging in there. So if you're a Visual Studio Code guy, check it out and uh, see some of the tips that Sahil has. Yeah, it's a good post. It's got the code snippets in there as well. I've not played with it too much, but in actual fact, right after this call, Rich, I'm going to meet with a Visual Studio code guys to talk about building some um, extension points in there for Office add-ins. So I'm hoping we'll be able to go after some of these Ruby and PHP, Python, Angular and Node type audiences and take Visual Studio Code, which installs in minutes and get them building Office add-ins rather than kind of trying to convince them to install the behemoth, which is Visual Studio 2015. Nice, nice. Which will be launched July 20th as well. So I'm looking forward to that keynote as well with the connect yep um another one i found was um and i can't pronounce this guy's name and i probably won't even try um is minifying javascript in visual studio 2015 uh for both sharepoint add-ins and office add-ins so he kind of shows how you can um use 
grunt um, and and bower to basically on build shrink your and minify all the JavaScript that's going on, um, which is pretty cool. And then obviously package that into your add-ins before you deploy it. So really cool um, little kind of blog post there. And it's Sonia, but it's I think it's Mad Madsen and I. I know she's somewhere across the pond, so I'm sure it's got some more complicated pronunciation than that. But um, Sonia's been doing a bunch of blog posts, and this one really stuck out as something that I think people would highly, um, highly be useful to them. That's cool. And then where's Hackett in the UK? Um, he has got the most strong London accent, in my opinion, anyway. I'm sure he'll deny it and go, it's not from London, it's somewhere else in England. But it always reminds me of listening to Lockstock and Two Spoken Barrels whenever I speak to him great film um, but he shows you how you can add custom tiles to your MyApps page which is something we announced last week actually on blogsoffice.com without having to kind of cheat and do it through Azure Active Directory um, you can now do it um, kind of through the administration console um, of Office 365 so that was a pretty cool nice touch from us to be able to do that kind of stuff too yeah that'd be a cool one you know to one of the feedback items we got from the uh, the dev camps was we had, I forget what it, it was like, I think a, a little like simple little puppy app um, that you went and created. And um, I think it'd be cool to kind of continue that on. And, you know, I think incorporating things into the the app launcher and, and being able to, you know, put your own icons and things like that up there would be kind of a neat kind of follow-up to that. Yeah, and I think what it would do is it encourage end users to do that, and then they'll realize there's a store there, which we announced this week as well, with uh, kind of the ability now to um, jump straight into the store from the app launcher. I think that will really start to highlight to you know product vendors that end users will start being more aware that there are these new add-ons um, to Office 365, whereas I know before I was very critical of like it was so hard to find the SharePoint store link on the left-hand side in the quick launch. It's almost like an Easter egg. So having this big tile now on the app launcher is a pretty cool bit, bit, a, bit of an addition for us. And then Wardek Mastercards, who's you know a constant blogger for us um, in this space, uh, has basically been flagged a few things around Internet Explorer and Azure AD applications. So very similar topics. So I'm launching a web application and it's trying to off with Azure Active Directory. But if your thing isn't in a trusted site, you'll get some weird errors sometimes. Um, so you have to make sure you're you're adding them in. So definitely give his blog post a read and he references off a bunch of technic articles as well. Uh, looks like he's speaking at SharePoint Saturday Munich, which I just ad agreed to do with um, Matthias, um, who's from the SPCAF uh, group in Germany, who built the tool for kind of checking your, um, your SharePoint solutions. We're going to go down there before we go to IT Unity Connect in Amsterdam. So it's a bit of a road trip from Munich to Amsterdam for IT Unity Connect and also the dev intersections, which is there as well. So that should be a bit of fun going to three conferences in a few days. Yeah, this post from Waldeck, I think it's a it's a pretty common one for, for developers that are building any sort of add-ins or um, like consuming our APIs. I think from the very beginning, um, back in like 2012, when we kind of first introduced what we were calling the app model, um, that whole internet security zones have been, they've bitten me from like 
all over the place. Um, you know, you get issues with images not showing up right or an, an API failing because of all the different cross-domain things that occur. But, um, you know, the, the challenge here is that, you know, when, when an organization deploys Office 365, a lot of times their, or their uh, IT will go and, and add, um, you know, things like group policies to make sure things are certain things are trusted, uh, maybe their SharePoint domain or maybe uh, the Outlook OA uh, domains. And the problem is when you start building these custom applications, maybe they're not and because they're in different security zones. Sometimes that gets kind of messy. Yeah, and it's kind of outside of our control as well. I mean, just in the notion of that's going to happen with the how IE and all browsers work, but IE is a little bit more strict than other browsers. I haven't played with Edge much, which is obviously kind of been branded now in the latest build of Windows 10. Um, I'm on 101.58 right now, um, and it seems a lot better. It seems to work with a lot of our internal corporate sites, which it wasn't doing a few builds ago. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that handles this notion of trusted sites too as a more of a modern browser than IE ever was. And then one last post, um, and this is by uh, Andre Large, I think that's how you pronounce it, it's from Switzerland. Um, and it's header, changing header and footer with breadcrumb and global ribbon in SharePoint Online um, using like a few targeted approaches. So he's done some stuff with patterns and practices, and this is basically him blogging and explaining how he's done those things with JavaScript. Um, which is pretty cool to kind of add your own breadcrumbs in there because, you know, the one in SharePoint can be a little bit limiting sometimes. So um, that's a great little write-up there from from Andre as well. So big thanks for him for that. So this show, Rich, was something that we got put together at SP TechCon Dev Days, which was in California, well, San Francisco to be correct, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, it's a pretty cool panel. We had... I'm going to remember now, Eric Sharps, Andrew Connell, Mark Anderson, and Scott Hillier on stage. I had a few pre-can questions, and then the kind of the audience let rip um, with a few of their own questions as well. They got really high ratings from the attendees, like all the attendees from the conference were in there. So I figured we could get go and and, and just like kind of let this one go um, all up. So it is a bit longer, but um, rather than split it across two shows, I think it's, it makes context if it's all in one. So I hope people enjoy it. I really enjoy these panel discussions where, you know, I encourage the community to be open, even though there's Microsoft guys present. Sometimes I still think I'm a community guy. And I'm like, guys, just speak your mind, like don't hold back. And and they really did on this one. So it was really good to hear their advice based on the questions that were being asked. So um, enjoy your week, mate. Enjoy Orlando. And I'll um, we'll have to go out for beers this week and actually do a show in person while you're in Redmond. Yeah, yeah sounds good. Sweet. See you later on. Okay, so we decided to shake this session up. Originally, I was doing a general session on SharePoint add-ins, and I've sat through a bunch of sessions the last two days, and these guys and other people here that are speaking have done a really good job of covering pretty much everything I was going to talk about in the general session. So what I decided to do, talk, based on talking to a few people in the bar last night and uh, wandering around in the breaks here, was to open this up for discussion based on uh, what these guys are seeing in the real world around SharePoint development, um, specifically focus on some of the questions that we've been asked um, in, in, the, in the sessions and expand on, expand on that a bit more in, in an open Q&A for an hour. Um, this is being recorded, and so it'll be on the podcast in the next few weeks. 
So what I would ask is, once we've got through a few of the general sessions, just to get these guys warmed up and get you guys warmed up, I'd love to get your questions from the audience as well. But what I'll ask you to do is just kind of yell them out. I'll repeat them, and then we'll get the guys to answer, just so that people that are listening at home can kind of get, get an idea about what's being asked from the audience. So um, I did give them about five minutes notice on these questions, so I'm hoping that they're well and truly warmed up. Um, I'm assuming you've all seen these guys, but in terms of intros, maybe just grab the microphone, Paul, and um, just introduce yourself quickly, who you are, where you're from, and don't mention the hockey. <laughs> My name is Paul Schaeflein. I'm a longtime developer from Chicago, Illinois, which has a very well-represented hockey crowd. <laughs> Happy to be here. Eric Sheps, also a SharePoint developer from Dallas, Texas. Uh, Scott Hillier, uh, developer, been a SharePoint MVP for nine years, and then in January I got migrated to the cloud, and I'm an <laughs> Office 365 uh, MVP now. And I'll just say, I can't imagine I'm going to get to say very much, so I'll just say it all now, sitting between these two guys, but <laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, Andrew Connell, developer, um, focus on Office 365 and doing front-end web dev. I'm Mark Anderson. I can't say developer like these guys do because they're <laughs> real developers. I'm just a hacker. Um, uh, I live in Boston and uh, SharePoint consultant, pretty much all I do. Cool, thank you. So if you're not following these guys on Twitter, if you're on the tweets, um, or if you're, if you're like not keeping up to the, these guys with their blogs and their RSS fees, I would highly recommend following these guys. They are within the top 10 of the blogs that I follow in terms of content that they're pushing out, and it really keeps me up to date with what they're doing with the platform, uh, primarily SharePoint here. And there are some kind of edge uh, specializations as well, which is always interesting to see what they do out there from that, that circuit. Um, so the first question to jump straight in, um, which I've totally forgotten already, so I will read it, is uh, to Paul first, which is, what do you see as a major learning curve hurdle when it comes to learning the SharePoint add-in model that we've obviously had launched for a while? What was the thing that you're seeing as you're teaching uh, events or reaching out in the community around? Uh, biggest hurdle for me personally was JavaScript. Uh, the biggest hurdle I see at clients is the, a lot of people have gotten so reliant on what SharePoint brings, like. Uh, logging and monitoring, and now we have to build all that stuff again like we used to do back in the day. So those are two big things that I, uh, yep. I'm seeing. That makes sense. I think the biggest hurdle that I've had in dealing with not only developers but architects as well coming onto the add-in model is this whole disconnected concept of app webs and host webs and how we're, we're drawing a line in between those and partitioning the app domains and using OAuth to go back and forth. So that whole kind of concept I think is still fuzzy for a lot of people and trying to figure out how they design around and build that into their uh, app plans has been really, really difficult. What, what would be your one minute explanation of app web versus host web? In one minute? Yeah, remember this is recorded and will be available publicly. Um, so, the, yeah. The, the idea is that we're isolating our code execution in different worker processes, so we need a different web application to do that. The 
AppWeb is a way to give a site that clones the permissions of the parent but runs in a different context but still has your SharePoint constructs uh, in it so that, that you can communicate it from an app but not be running code directly against uh, the host environment. And it also acts as a proxy so you can interact with uh, the host where the users are doing their work. So users work in host webs, apps do their work over here in app webs and communicate through the app webs to the host web using the old auth um, authorization process in the middle. That was a pretty good explanation. I'm impressed. confused anymore, right? 63 seconds, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what I think is the, the, the biggest thing that keeps people from learning it is the name change from app to add-in. <laughs> you had one job, Scott. One job. <laughs> Buying your beers all night. <laughs> Uh, but, for 10 years, suddenly it's going to disappear <laughs> off his uh, shelf soon. But, but in all seriousness, I, I probably have to echo that it's really, uh, I would just say it's the plumbing. So what happens when you're teaching this stuff to people is you spend a significant amount of time talking about all the plumbing, all the way things are hooked together, and all the flows, and then somewhere along the line you go, Oh yeah, and you also have to actually write your business application in here. So it, when I'm teaching this, I just feel like we don't get to spend much time at all talking about the actual implementation of something that solves a business problem because you're so busy working on the, on the plumbing. So that's the, that's the hurdle you gotta get over. That was the quickest fall from the cloud I think I've ever seen, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think probably the, the thing that I, I struggle with the most at first and also solve and continue to see people struggling with the most is understanding the concept of app security, specifically around OAuth, access tokens, um, authorization codes, Azure, um, Active Directory, um, taking advantage of that within 365 APIs or within just within SharePoint, the whole S2S stuff. All of that stuff to me is, um, from the SharePoint perspective, most SharePoint developers haven't had to deal with that. Um, a lot of web devs are used to dealing with that, but in the SharePoint space, we that developers haven't had to, and it was a completely new concept. Even though it was tried and true and a standard on the internet, it was uh, brand new to so many SharePoint devs. And um, I mean, even me, I was I was teaching OAuth for a good solid six to nine months before I think I really understood it. Yeah. So, and then when I finally got it, I could teach it better, but it still was very hard to wrap your brain around. And multiple flows. Yeah, multiple, everything about it. Multiple flows and access tokens. All, how do you protect them? Where you should protect them and all that stuff. It's tricky. Yeah. I'm at the end of the row. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it harder to have a point. <laughs> um, to me, the off piece is actually, I think, the hardest. Um, but let me let me come at it from a different direction. As somebody who's been doing JavaScript for a long time, I think the thing that 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 I've realized is that I need to really step up my JavaScript game. So even if you've been doing scripting for a while and sort of using it as filler uh, to solve some problems, there's really like as as uh, I think Rob did the session today on enterprise level JavaScript. There's a lot of good practice coming out about how to write JavaScript from people like the guys sitting up here on the on the panel, who are really teaching us how to write JavaScript that that is something to be proud of. I'm now rewriting everything I've ever done because <laughs> these guys are teaching me new patterns. So it, it's, 
uh, all of the things that they said, I think, are part of the sort of SharePoint developer coming across to the JavaScript world. As a JavaScript developer coming sort of the opposite direction, like I always have, um, I haven't built any add-ins, but yeah. I, I just find I can accomplish the same kinds of things without that specific deployment decision. To me, it's a deployment decision, not a uh, fundamental truth. Yeah, I had an interesting POG show recording yesterday with uh, Mark Rackley, uh, which will come out next Thursday. And it talks about this difference between kind of a, a Visual Studio developer and a non-Visual Studio developer. And you're still a developer, right? but I, it's like a tongue-in-cheek thing where it's just a different deployment model. You know, we're packaging things up in an add-in package or a full trust code or a sandbox solution package and deploying it to a farm. Um, as opposed to kind of going in there via SharePoint Designer or via the web user interface and um, editing those files. Um, but this, this, a lot of the times the same kind of uh, work can be achieved in both, both approaches. And I think those worlds are moving closer together now because a lot of the, the, the ways that we do things in Visual Studio, rather than being so much managed code, is being done on the client side. And a lot of that drive comes from the user experience of single page applications and the way that your, your web page is refreshing. Um, you know, we see it in consumer pages all the time. Facebook is lightning fast and, you know, we're commenting and liking and it's not doing full page reloads, which in the SharePoint world we're used to. And that was a lot of the reason that Mark, both the Marks have had a big following is because they've provided ways of getting that kind of experience inside of SharePoint just by using those client-side approaches. So I think that will continue to converge as we go forward. I think the second question I had around that was, what resources have you used to learn those things. So other than attending the conference and um, <clears throat> talking in, in, in amongst yourselves, for, from a JavaScript perspective, Mark, what, what resources do you use to go and try and learn these new enterprise approaches to writing uh, more scalable JavaScript code? I think everybody has different learning styles, and I'm a very bad reader, video watcher, all of that sort of stuff. I, I tend to just beat my head against it until I can solve it. Um, you just sit there and watch it. You don't hit it. <laughs> no, no, no. It actually has to has to impact. You've got to start um, kicking the table as well, because I won't be forever. But uh, actually, my best uh, learning mechanism is Twitter, which sounds totally insane. But I watch what all of you and especially people like these guys, what they tweet. Because if they read something and they tweet it, then it must be worth me reading. So it's my personalized RSS feed. I don't follow very many people on Twitter intentionally so that I can always have quality content coming my way. So that's, that's actually my biggest learning thing. So I'll, I'll, I'll read blog posts and, and uh, I'm following a lot of the, the people in the JavaScript community who have nothing to do with Microsoft or um, SharePoint or anything in Office 365 who are out there sort of doing the cutting edge stuff. I don't understand most of what they do, but by watching what they're, what they're sort of pursuing and writing about, that's, I find that very helpful. Yeah, and if you're not on Twitter, because I know, actually put your hands up. How many people are actually on Twitter and following one of us on stage? Okay, yeah, so it's usually like kind of that split. That's growing over the years, more people have been engaged. But if you're not on Twitter, um, on blogs.office.com, the weekly podcast I do, we have a, a write-up summary of what was in the show with all the links, show notes, and bios and stuff. But the other thing that I add there is all the tweets I've done for that week, where I've, I subscribe to nearly 2,000 different blogs of people I know that write about this stuff. If they blog the content and it's not just a, you know, I'm attending a conference or 
um, I'm cool or I've just bought a car and they're actually genuine content, I'll tweet that but then in the daily, the, sorry, the weekly update, I'll add all those links in and then on a monthly digest uh, post, which also gets sent to people that are in the dev program, we also send those links out as well. So we, we kind of, the cadence wise, you can check in on those things at different approaches even if you're not on Twitter, which is um, feedback we had that people found useful in terms of collecting those links. Um, Andrew, from a resources perspective, uh, you've talked about auth. Where, where where did you go to try and learn that and keep up to date with those things? Uh, the two biggest resources, or I guess the three biggest resources that I had for auth that really that that really helped me. Um, one is actually Paul. Paul Schaefline is one of the was does a really good job of explaining it and really made it really simplified it down for me. Um, so the biggest thing is I think that most people overcomplicate overcomplicate it when it really is a very simple solution. Um, and the terms are really simple. It's just being overcomplicated. The other one is, um, uh, I always mess up his name, but Vittorio, who is the guy for um, Azure AD for Microsoft. Um, Vittorio's blog is really good. I think it's cloudidentity.com. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is uh, actually the, the, the uh, OAuth documentation on, for Azure AD um, on the Azure SDK and the Azure documentation is really good. Um, those are the three big resources that got me, that helped me understand it. I do want to just pile on on some of the stuff that, that Mark was saying. The two biggest resources for me of picking up on all these different uh, frameworks because I mean, the JavaScript frameworks are popping up left and right. There's already been 10 new ones since we started this talk. So, I mean, for me, it's, you know, how do you stay on top of it? The two best ways for me to stay on top of it is to, um, every, every day I check Hacker News and the best things just kind of bubble up to the top. And then I also subscribe to the um, what's popular or what's hot newsletter on GitHub. Um, shows the top 10 projects of the last week that have been having the most activity. And uh, there's never any repeats, so you always see something new. And probably about 30 to 60% of them every week are JavaScript related. Am I answering the same question? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, all right, so my resources, I would echo the things you both said. Um, people I follow on Twitter, when somebody I have a lot of respect for says, I just published something, I go look at it, and I keep a research list. And if I can't read the article right away, I get the link and I put it in my research list, and then I group this stuff together, and when I have free time, I start going through the research list. You have free time? Yeah. <laughs> it's like three in the morning, I go through the research list. <laughs> but now I go through the research list, and yes, it does grow more faster than, than I can tear it down, but uh, uh, that's a good way to do it. Um, the same people you're talking about, Vittorio is somebody that uh, on Cloud Identity that you should definitely follow, because not only is he brilliant in what he does, but um, he, he gives you the step-by-step -step stuff you need to get started, and then you're off and rolling. Uh, I think I'm kind of obligated to mention IT Unity. I'm the development uh, chair for IT Unity, which is a, a content website for SharePoint people. So we have a tremendous amount of developer stuff up there. I get a lot of these guys to write for IT Unity as well. So another good resource. Chuck? So I was fortunate enough um, a number of years ago to be working with a client who was involved in the drafting of the initial OAuth spec. Uh, so I've sort of been around that piece for quite some time, which is why I do a session strictly on OAuth uh, for everyone. And so I've followed that consistently since then. And when it came into SharePoint uh, into 2013, then I didn't really have a steep learning curve there. On the other hand, the implementation, the way that Microsoft has chosen to implement it is unique to what we do uh, in SharePoint. And I was lucky enough to be involved early on in the product team uh, building demos for some of the conferences and stuff. So I got really deep into it with the people on the engineering team I had to implement it. 
I take a little bit of a different approach when it comes to keeping track of, of frameworks and changes. I actually don't follow anything that's new and breaking in the JavaScript world. I wait and watch until it receives a critical level of adoption from uh, enterprise customers. Once it penetrates an enterprise customer, it's worth paying attention to. Up until that point, it's just noise. Uh, and it will be supplanted by even greater noise next week. But once you start to see large organizations adopting something and getting some critical mass, then uh, at that point, you need to understand what it does, how it works, and how it can benefit you. The one exception to that was TypeScript, which I got involved with early on um, coming out of the Microsoft side and have kept my eye on that for quite some time. And now it's gaining some momentum with Google uh, adding itself uh, to the TypeScript world, if you will. Uh, and so that's been a really interesting uh, to see that actually get adopted for for a while. It just kind of um, stagnant. Uh, and then for the, I do like the rest of these guys. We listen to each other. We have a bit of an echo chamber uh, going on. And, and so if I want to know about Node.js or something breaking on the edge, I'll listen to Andrew. If I have a question about identity, I'll call Paul, unless it's during hockey season, in which case I can't talk to him at all. Um, and, and so we just sort of feed off of each other and to keep that information going. But most of the stuff we put out there is public for everyone to consume. So we're not just talking to each other. We try and share that knowledge with the community uh, as much as possible. Believe it or not, I get a lot of input on what's going on from attendees at the conferences. Yeah. The questions that you ask tell us the things that you're concerned about and the things that are important to you. And every now and then someone will ask me something and go, ooh, I better go look into that because I don't know a whole lot about that subject. And if someone, if one attendee asks, it probably means 10 attendees were thinking about it, and I'd, I'd better go do some learning on it. I had to echo all those thoughts, but one thing, it struck me just earlier this week, I was answering a question on the Yammer network, and someone had a question about, you know, SharePoint gives us a web front end, you know, a web front end farm, so to speak. How do I do this in a provider hosted app? And the answer is go to ASP.NET. So my point is, you're using these other technologies now. You can't just live in the SharePoint SDK like we did a release or two ago. You're gonna have to step outside and read about Azure AD documentation, read about IIS documentation and .NET framework development stuff, just thinking of those stuff. So that's the, the, the approach I would take. And that leads into the next question. That wasn't even a planned segue, but in terms of, as a SharePoint developer, and you know, we were in the .NET world for so long where all the cool kids were working on the latest versions on that .NET framework when SharePoint kind of stuck us in 2.5, and then we got already excited when we could support installing 3 and 3.5 framework on a SharePoint farm. Um, but we've been kind of constrained in terms of the development models and what we could use being tied into that SharePoint page model. With the new add-in model and with these APIs allow us to run standalone web applications or mobile apps that you can call in, as a SharePoint developer, how, how have you evolved and what skills have you had to pick up that you wouldn't have had to pick up if we'd have kind of stayed the path with full trust code in the SharePoint page model? Paul, I guess. That was a complicated question. So the skills I've had to learn, right? Well, and so uh, what, I'm, what I'm reinforcing to uh, students and customers is think now more of a service-oriented model. Office 365 has got services. Why isn't your stuff services? And just try to, I mean, it's not a new technology, but we didn't think of it too much because we were too busy using web parts or whatever. So that's the, that's the kind of the approach I'm trying to advocate to people and, and get familiar with that and then leverage it using whatever framework your customers want. And by the way, if you ask them, your customers will say, yeah, I want a mobile device, even though IT says no. Yeah, client web development was the big change, obviously. Uh, I like managed type 
uh, code, stuff that runs fast in memory and does what it's supposed to do without 8 million asynchronous calls that you can't follow back and forth. Uh, but th so that transition was difficult for me initially. We've all done JavaScript a little bit at one time or another in our ASP.NET development careers if we've worked on web stuff at all. So it wasn't that unusual. But but when I made the shift, it, was, it wasn't just random bits of script. We now have structured JavaScript frameworks and, and believe it or not, people who actually understand object-oriented design even know it, it's, you have to fake object-oriented in JavaScript, but they get those design principles and the frameworks that are coming out. They're actually, it's interesting to watch what's happening because the JavaScript patterns are coming over to our side, even while our development techniques are going over to the JavaScript side. So they're becoming more and more like us, which is why Google jumped on the TypeScript bandwagon and, and whatnot. So uh, I think we've assimilated them to a certain degree into our mode of thinking around object-oriented design and abstracted classes and service-oriented architecture and that sort of stuff. But still, making that shift over to doing that, what I primarily do, as opposed to compiled code in .NET, that was a bit of a difficult transition. Yeah. So this discussion reminds me of uh, Gary Oldman in The Professional. You guys know the movie The Professional? Great film. Yes, yes, great film, right? Okay, so there's a scene in it where uh, they've got the hitman in the room, but, but he's killed like 10 guys and they can't get him out. So what I say to you is learn everything. Everything? Everything! <laughs> That's what you have to learn. So it's, it's not just client-side stuff, it's Web API, it's MVC, it's Azure. That's the biggest thing is that the entire cookie jar has been opened for us now and we get to use everything. But the truth is to be good at this, you kind of have to have your fingers in a little bit of everything, right? So if you want to do just client-side stuff, you say, oh, I'm doing heavy JavaScript, I'm doing Angular, sure. But eventually you're going to have to make your own RESTful API, you're going to have to, or you're not going to be able to solve the problems. If you believe in the client over HTTP model, if you're calling SharePoint, if you're calling Office 365 APIs, then how can you deny the inevitability of wrapping your own SQL databases in Web API and calling using the same model, right? So every single thing that's out there now has a place in the spectrum of development that we do. You know, somebody could turn around and say, well, gee, Scott, you can't be an expert in everything, but you do have to know these technologies enough to see how they all fit together. So I think there's a huge amount of stuff on your plate uh, to learn. You should prioritize how you learn it, but, um, when we were, you know, over the last decade as SharePoint developers, we kind of got to look at stuff and say, eh, I'm never going to use that, right? But we don't have that luxury anymore because we're outside of that world now and every single thing, every tool in the toolbox is available to us. So use them all. Three answers to your question. So oh, first, more complicated than everyone. No, no, no. This, I think, is, I think this is actually what you asked. So, um, First, what what things did I have to learn that I didn't have that I didn't have to do before? OAuth, the authentication model, and a loosely coupled architecture. Those are the two things I absolutely had to learn. Switching from fully trusted code uh, in SharePoint over to this new model. Um, what kinds of things have I enjoyed, or what kinds of things I've been able to take advantage of um, in learning this? 
I love the fact that I don't feel constrained anymore. I mean, a lot of people look at this and they get frustrated with the app model saying, oh, I have to do it like this, I have to do it like this. I feel like for the last decade, I've been like sitting in a train and I've just been on the rails and just saying, this is how, this is the path of development that I have to do. Now I feel like I'm on a motorcycle, I can go wherever I want now. I can use any technology I want. I don't have a tool bag. I've got a tool chest and I can use anything I want. If I want to use Node, if I want to use .NET, if I want to go client, if I want to do server, I don't have to use any of that stuff. I can choose and say, I can specialize and be, I just do server-side ASP.NET MVC, and I don't do cl any client-side stuff. And I can completely avoid all the JavaScript and all the Angular stuff and everything. But I like the fact that now I've got so many options and it feels like, you know, like you're back to being a, like a developer, like when you first come out of college. Now I can do any project I want right now. I can have any tool I want. So to me, it's incredibly liberating. Um, it's much less constraining and it makes me just it makes me a happier developer in a sense. So I like it that I can use any tool that I want and have any platform and any infrastructure now. A lot more questions came up in the in that in all those answers, right? <laughs> so uh, I, I have a different answer to Jeremy's original question, which is how much has your life changed or your approach changed or something like that yep. with the add-in model? Not at all, really, for me. Which yep. is so that's the weird answer, of course. I'm down at the end. Um, I, I still go by the by what I was saying in my sessions. You know, once the once the page is in the browser, it's mine, and I, that's how I've been operating for a long time. So uh, that part hasn't changed. I've got more web services that I can call if I uh, actually find a client who wants to use Office 365, which I don't have a lot of. So that's cool. So th there there definitely are more opportunities to build cool stuff on the client side. Um, I. I did want to sort of jump on something that a couple of you guys said. Yes, there are just frameworks galore and there are tools galore and there are lots of things that you could focus on. I think, you know, we all love to learn, so we're always going to keep learning little bits and pieces of everything. I sort of long for the days of sitting in a nice little small IT shop where we can pick a set of tools and use them for a couple years, you know. Um, so I would I would encourage you to try to make good decisions based on you know your organization strategy and the business requirements that you're you're trying to meet and pick some tools that you are going to stick with for a while. We all say that too. I mean, the learning everything thing is so tempting, but we can't learn everything. We never could learn all of SharePoint. We certainly can't learn all of Office 365. We can't learn all the JavaScript frameworks and the you know the creating our own web REST services wrapping. SQL and God, that all sounded fun. You're selling everybody short. But so, so <laughs> you want to be a notes developer? So, so it's it, it's it's the, it's the classic. You know, I have to say it at least once a panel. It depends, right? You really have to figure out what to focus on in order to be productive and, and useful to the organization that you serve. So I think the same thing happens when you look at the add-in model. Is that the way that is that's going to serve your organization best or not? And Sometimes it will be, and sometimes it won't. And you'll you'll come up with different answers based on you know where your what your skills are, where you sit in the organization, what you're trying to accomplish. Can I redirect? Sure. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> I'm already so, hurt. So, so the only thing I think is important there is um, you know if you think of yourself as a professional developer and you have any vision at all that your career as a professional developer will transcend the current job that you have 
it's important for you to at least put a finger in a lot of these things because you need to know how they fit together. And if you just focus on even just the Microsoft stack and you don't do Node.js or something like that, there are a lot of pieces in there that, um, that occupy a very specific role and without them the story is not complete. So yes, you may not become an expert on Web API or uh, you know, MVC or whatever particular technology it is, but I think it's important that you know where it fit and you understand its basic capabilities uh, because again, if you leave the job you're in, you go somewhere else, that could be a critical thing. Yeah, I actually wasn't disagreeing with you. I was just trying to say, be realistic about it, well, right? One thing I you can't learn everything. When I was a consultant, prior to being working for a vendor in New York was, I'd keep a log of the projects that I worked on and the technologies that I was working with. So whenever you move to a new project, they could get an idea of, okay, well, you've genuinely worked on SQL and you've written T-SQL scripts for X number of years, or you've worked in JavaScript and AngularJS for two years on two different projects. And that gives your, the dev lead or the manager that's hiring you a good idea about what your experience is. And I think uh, that changed for me a lot when I jumped into SharePoint because you never touched T-SQL anymore because you didn't have to work with a SQL database. or um, you didn't necessarily have to use Angular frameworks because you were just tied to the SharePoint page model. So for me, my career started off not being in SharePoint and then got sucked into SharePoint. And now uh, my skill sets are going back to what I had originally before I started in that SharePoint world. Just out of interest, put your hand up if you're in your organization, you're the only SharePoint developer, i.e. you're a team of one. Okay, so half of the room-ish, maybe less than half. I think the opportunity now, and it goes to Mark's point, is that rather than being the team of one now, if there's ex other web developers that are in your organization, you can pull them in on projects. And um, if you've already done the scaffolding for your, your add-in, it's very easy for them to start building and helping you build out those solutions now. And they bring those skills that they've got of being a, stand, you know, a standard web developer out there. And I think what will happen over time is career-wise is that we'll go from associating ourselves with a, being a, called a SharePoint developer to being a web developer that specializes in office development. And when I mean office development, I mean office development all up. As in, when I think about it from a division in Microsoft, that includes the office client, SharePoint, Exchange, Delve, and everything else that we have within the entire uh, platform. And so I think over time we'll see that. And one of the interesting things I've been seeing, and the, the reason I love my job so much is I get to exposure with all these large enterprises that are on the bleeding edge and they're already doing this. Um, so with your teams in, inside your orgs and your, your consultancy companies, it's definitely worth reaching out to uh, other teams and you know, they'll all be like, SharePoint, keep me away, that technology is horrible and I've avoided it my whole career. Um, and once you start showing them what they can do, they can become really powerful at then delivering on top of that platform, but leveraging a lot of their skills. And uh, we did a, a conference, the ng-conf, Mandra uh, and I are at. These guys had zero skills in, in SharePoint and Office. Um, they were gun Angular developers, and we did a quick 20-minute overview of this is how you build an Office add-in, much like I did in my general session earlier on. And within an hour and a half, these guys have built stuff and demoed it to judges. Uh, and they were pretty amazing apps, what they're built and, and plumbed together. And so it's just worth taking into account that those guys can step into our world now, whereas before they didn't want to because they didn't want to be stuck and constrained into that page model. And so we have to step into their world too and learn those skill sets so we still become, become viable. That's definitely something that I'm hearing a lot more and I think it's important for you guys to understand that as you go through. There was a hand up just at the back there. Yeah. I this is this has all been good, and I got to tell you, first of all, thank you, everyone, because this has been very exciting stuff. It's opened my eyes to 
to what we're doing in the future. And I, I like knowledge too and the things that Andrew and Mark and the rest of you have said about we thirst for knowledge. This change is a little bit exciting as well as scary and such. Um, but my question is, when this reality ends and my new reality starts on Monday, back where I work normally, I'm gonna be sharing this with people and, and an enterprise that isn't embracing change as much as we are. Yeah. And with all the movement that we're having into the web and the app world and such, those people who have dedicated themselves to SharePoint up to this point, and they're finally starting to see stability, they think they've got synergies going, and now they're gonna feel a little bit like the, the SharePoint, what they have is the ugly stepchild. And we've got to find ways of keeping them interested and in moving forward at the same time that we're trying to be their leader and their light going forward. So one of the, the question, I guess, the bottom line is, what do you recommend, what do you see um, in order that we can bring the rest of our enterprise community along who haven't quite gotten as far as we have? I'll tackle a little bit first, and I think these guys will interject. The, the things that we're seeing, uh, first of all, is, and it's what Eric was saying in his session yesterday, around the baby steps into this. And I, I mentioned this in my workshop yesterday, but just to repeat it, was that when in, I think it was SB09, where we started talking about CSOM APIs and client-side APIs and moving off of the server-side APIs that we were all very comfortable and familiar with in managed code. And personally, I didn't jump. I was so comfortable in C-sharp and I knew the server-side object model that I didn't feel the need to jump over to client-side object model. And you know, there was people like uh, Mark and AC and Scott that were blogging a lot about these REST APIs and CSOM. And I really fell behind because of that. And there becomes a time where you almost get forced that you do need to learn those client-side APIs. And I think for anyone that's in that world right now in FTC, if you're not doing client-side API at CSOM calls right now, that's probably the first kind of baby step you can do into this new world without moving over to a whole new add-in model. Um, and I think that's a comfortable way of, of starting to do that progression. The other thing to bear in mind, and you know, my role is always to talk about the, the, the vision and, and the future of where we're going, and, but I have to be empathetic to where people currently are. And I can imagine if I put up and said, how many people are still on SharePoint 2007 in the room? How many people? Four, few hands. God bless you. <laughs> okay, 10, 15 hands. 2013, sir. 2003. Okay. It's about 20 hands. SharePoint Online. Okay, few hands. Six hands. Okay, 2003, just to go back to what AC said. Okay, we've got rid of that lot. Phew. Um, so, but so that's the reality is that, you know, where we want to try and progress, we understand that there's still customers out there that can't move to the adding model because it only works from 2013 onwards. And to Eric's point around um, even the hurdles of installing the add-in model on SharePoint server is, is something that you have to organize and get buying from the administrator. So I think to extend that question, as well as answering his, would be um, how do you tempt organizations to see the benefits of 2013 and the add-in model and therefore jump into that and, and not, not fight it, essentially, which is kind of what you're asking, right? Is bring those guys over and what, what leads them. So, Mark, do you want to go first? I talk to people in enterprises who are sort of stuck where they are, and, and, and I mean that they really sort of are stuck. A lot of people who, are, who have been doing SharePoint development for a long time have been sort of 
built, they've become complacent in a sense because SharePoint hasn't, as much as it's changed, it hasn't really changed. The development that they were doing, they've been doing has been the same for about 10 years, right? Is that fair? That's fair. Um, <clears throat> so the, the discussion that I have, I, 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 think it's, I think it's better to use a carrot than a stick, right? You have to learn something new is scary. But when I talk to people, I talk about, you know, what do you want to have on your resume the next time you look for a job? Do you want to have, I've been doing the same thing with C Sharp for the last 10 years, or do you want to have, you know, I've, I've done that and I've done these cool things with JavaScript frameworks and, and uh, you know, web services and Ajax calls and all that sort of stuff. At some point, all of those people are going to leave your company. This is going to sound like a weird way to put it. But if you talk to them about the fact that they will need to, need to get another job someday, they need better stuff on their resume. And learning things, if you can help support them to, in learning those things, will make them more marketable. And that's a good thing. The other thing is that I think that a lot of the people I talk to, once I get them in a room by themselves, they think there's a lot of cool stuff going on out there that they don't get to touch. And once they realize that they can start to use some of these really cool things that all the kids are using these days, that actually gets them a little bit excited. But they, but they need to understand how that fits into that enterprise scheme, right? So it, it, it's as much a cultural shift in an IT department as it is a technical shift when you're you know, going to Office 365 or something. It's not just about the technology. I think there's, there's two ways that you can look at it. Um, there's one for, like Mark was saying, with the, with the actual developers. Like, how do you get them interested to actually do this kind of stuff or take advantage of it? You feel like you're trapped. Um, with so many different options that are in our, the analogy I used earlier, so, so many different things I have now in my tool chest and so many different tools, um, I have the ability, not, even if I'm still on SharePoint 2007, I have the ability to use some of these new technologies, even if SharePoint doesn't quote unquote support it, if it doesn't have the REST APIs. I can do Angular in, in SharePoint 2007. I can do stuff that's living in the cloud. I can, I, if I wanted to use, not use .NET and I wanted to do something like Node.js, I could do that if I wanted to. Um, so as a developer, I would say you try to find things that kind of push your, to push your limit. I've been doing a lot of Node.js stuff not by force, because by choice, because it was something new. I've been doing the same thing for a decade, and I'm like, I want to mix it up a bit. So I forced myself to learn something else. I didn't have to, but I just thought it would be fun. Um, the other side, though, is for the companies. When they look at it and they say, well, how do you actually get from 2007 to 2010, or how do I be able to use these new things? Um, the approach I think that does not work is by trying to tell them, here's all the technologies, you've got REST APIs, and you've got this and you've got that. The stuff that sells it is to show them, look at what you can do. So I did a session yesterday at a different conference, and the thing that blew them all away was when they happened to see an Office add-in that we had built using Angular. We didn't show them the fact that it was Angular, we just showed them that, yeah, I built something that runs right here in Outlook, and it popped up in Outlook web app, it popped up on Outlook on, on my, uh, on my laptop as well, they were like, whoa, how do I do that? What do I need to do that? And then they started seeing it. Some people were like, oh, my company, one guy was a, a development manager in the, in the, for the company, and he said, you know, we're still on, on, on uh, Office 2010, but knowing that we can do that, that will drive an adoption for us to switch over to Office 2013. So that's gonna help us kind of get, you know, do new things to be able to use new technologies, but it's not the technology that lets us do that. It's the actual feature of what scenario it enables. That's the thing that I think you have to sell to, to managers, to, to business leaders and stuff to say, 
what you, what we have this great idea, we can do this, but not with what we got right now. We need this to be able to do that. Yeah, good. So um, I don't know that I can do much more than put a little bit of a spin on that. Uh, it doesn't matter what version of SharePoint you have today, you can begin to do modern development as soon as you leave here and you get back on Monday. You just do what you can do, right? Every one of those platforms supports JavaScript. So you're gonna be able to take advantage of whatever version of browser you have. Hopefully your organization's moving along in that uh, area. Add some JavaScript and be able to do more advanced things. So just get people started. And then, but then when it comes to the actual organization, you know, I, I was doing some consulting not too long ago and I spent a day with an organization talking about the plan to move to the cloud. And the vice president of IT was supposed to come in at the end of the day and you know, see how we did. So we were locked in a, in a conference room for the day. She came in at the end of the day, she sat right next to me, turned 90 degrees in her chair, put her nose literally six inches away from mine and said, there's no damn way we're ever moving to the cloud. <laughs> okay, I didn't even say anything. Okay, thanks, thanks for that, right? So there are executives at organizations that have that attitude. They're gonna lose that attitude or they're gonna lose their job. That, that's reality, right? So what she said is not true. You are going to the cloud. You just don't know it yet. And one of the reasons you're gonna go there is because it's gonna be a heck of a lot cheaper than what you're doing now, plain and simple. So organizations will get there, but along the way, what you can begin to do is as your, whatever version of SharePoint you have now, as you're um, beginning to introduce modern development techniques, Make sure to do some things that add value for those people so they can begin to see how the new things are adding value. And it's gonna be a process. I have no idea how long it's gonna take for everybody to get there, right? I just, I'm reminded of that, uh, that old yarn where you, you know, we tend to overestimate change year to year, but underestimate it decade to decade. That's the way I feel about where we are and where we're going. So I have a bit of a different uh, take on it. I work a lot with enterprise customers. That's my primary customer base, and the majority of them are on-premise. Uh, and some of them uh, may never take those core workloads to the cloud, but it's irrelevant. From my perspective, what I tell customers is, look, there are places where doing things in a remotely disconnected API make a lot of sense. Don't change the stuff you've already written. Don't go back and rewrite your web parts and your timer jobs and all that other stuff. You know why? Because it works and you're on premise and you control your environment and your devs know what they're doing, leave them alone and let them do it. But the next time you have a project, ask yourself, how much of this code base is actually going to be SharePoint? Because what I've found is in most organizations, 80 to 90% of the code you write is .NET and 10% of it is SharePoint. If you're taking a, an app, let's say you're rewriting your employee PTO uh, application. We used to say, well, rewrite all that in SharePoint, make it a SharePoint app tightly integrated into SharePoint because we were using SharePoint as middleware. Now we have to ask ourselves, does it make sense to really rewrite that whole thing in SharePoint or can I leave it in IIS and ASP.NET or whatever your framework is and communicate with SharePoint for the things that I need or make it accessible from SharePoint? If that's what the app requires, leave the app where it is and use the remote APIs where they make the most sense to help you. And who knows, you may cut your development time on the project drastically because you no longer have to build all this stuff in SharePoint and deal with all the scaffolding of putting that together. You can leave it over here and just talk to SharePoint. But if your business requirement demands that you have a timer job or you absolutely must have an application page, you have to work with one of the server-side APIs, what I advise clients to do is first, see if you can, I'm gonna throw another Ericism out here, serviceify it. 
See if you can write a web service that will talk to those SharePoint APIs for you instead of having to write it entirely in the SharePoint interface so that it's not tightly coupled. Because at some point, what you see as a critical workload now may move into the cloud. It may be private cloud. It may move to where someone else is hosting it, but you don't have direct access to the server. And it's still on-prem, but not your-prem. Uh, so future-proof that application by going remote where you can. And then if you absolutely have to be full trust, go full trust. It still works. It's still supported. That's fine. But don't start there. Make that your last stopping point. Start remotely connected and then work your way back to it if you need to. And I'll end this thread by saying, um, I heard you say, you know, I have customers or, or, or end users that are comfortable in SharePoint. GM was very comfortable, Sears is very comfortable, and look where they are, right? So sometimes the question is, I get that you're comfortable, but what is your, comp what is your competition doing? Should we be doing something different? And if the business wants to do something different, I have to be able to adapt to what they need. How do I adapt? And sometimes those questions answer themselves if you get them thinking in the right path. Cool, thank you, that's awesome. Did anyone else have any questions? I've got a bunch lined up, but has anyone else got a burning question? I think it's a continuation of the previous question, and you guys touched on that a little bit. If somebody would come to me and says, what type of applications can I develop in SharePoint that solve business solutions, what do I tell them? Uh, so why is SharePoint part of the business requirement? SharePoint's a tool I can use to solve the business requirement. That's the first thing I ask them, right? And so I, I, if your business is to sell SharePoint add-ins, then that's a valid question. But what is your business? If your business is to sell widgets, how can I help you support widgets? To me, I would just turn your question around and, and say, I, I, I'm, the IT should be supporting the business, not dictating to the business. That's just my opinion. Right, but if I have an enterprise system in the back that does all the processing for a manufacturing business, what do I put on the SharePoint? What do I use SharePoint for? I'm asking you the same thing. What do you use SharePoint for, right? I mean, that's, that's a, a valid question. Well, right now, we're fairly new to it, and we do it, use it for document management. Okay, that, that's fine, right? So, so uh, well, and I'll, I'll pass it on, but so try to think of it, we've, we've talked on this, it's a server, right? So you have, your manufacturing system is doing something, you inputs and outputs. If SharePoint is your most familiar browser page that your users are in, so you make calls into that system to surface it, or try to inject that into the search so that I get, I search for documents, I search for data. It's really just, how can I pick the best services and, and integrate them into a cohesive answer for whatever the question is for the business? And there's a great course if you go to dev.office.com slash training. One of the courses on the left-hand side is actually the building blocks of SharePoint. So it goes through like how to use it as a document management system, how to leverage workflow and business process, how to use a managed metadata service, how to use search. And it breaks it down in a way that you can just kind of take one of those building blocks and use it with your other enterprise systems to build a solution that's useful to your business. So that, that would be, I would recommend checking that out. I, I, you said I have another pass. answer for your question. I mean, I think the, 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 the sort of glib answer is you can build anything you want in SharePoint. So if you want to do it, you can. It's not always a great idea. I wouldn't build an accounting system in SharePoint. Um, but I, I think the, what I think of, when I think of SharePoint, yes, it does all that document management stuff, but people who are only doing that really have bought a very expensive document management system and they're doing a lot of work to keep that going. I would look at things that you can surface in SharePoint because it's a familiar UI, hopefully, to, to your users that can help them make decisions. Big list views are not things that can help you make decisions. List views that are configured in such a way that you can see something that's red or green are, are helpful to make decisions. Or taking, inf uh, taking some information from all of those sort of corporate 
line of business systems and surfacing it on pages that can help people take actions and make better decisions is an excellent way to use SharePoint. So there you're maybe thinking about SharePoint as a document management slash portal system. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a great platform to do that sort of stuff. If you've got very good, high quality uh, systems running, you know, your manufacturing business or something, but getting something that, that people can start to make better decisions on using BI tools or using, you know, lots of these fun JavaScript libraries you can use these days to, to, sh to visualize data, I think is a great use for SharePoint. Um, from a platform perspective. Just want to add something to it. Um, I think it's helpful to draw a brighter line between line of business systems and collaboration systems. So when I think of people who work in line of business systems, and I'm going to say things kind of in a rigid way, and then you can give me a hundred reasons why it's not exactly like this, but, but I'll try to make my point. When somebody uses a line of business system, I imagine someone sitting in front of a screen doing data entry. They're banging data into stuff. You know, when you have a CRM system, you're just sitting there putting in like the dog's names, the kid's birthdays and all that stuff, right? You're just hammering data into this thing. But then what happens is when we have these line of business systems, we need to use them in some collaborative way to produce something of value. So we have a CRM system, the line of business system, but then we have to do a proposal. So the proposal's not in the CRM system, but the data we need for the proposal is in the CRM system. So SharePoint's better at helping you make the proposal because there I can put the, the Word document, the key dates we have to meet for the proposal, who's on the team, assign tasks, and then I can write um, an, an, an office add-in that pulls the information from the CRM system and brings it into our document template. So to me, that's where SharePoint really shines, but then I want you to think beyond that, right? So now take the next level of abstraction and pull away and ask yourself about Office 365, not just SharePoint. So now take that same idea and take another step back and say, what about not just the documents, but the emails we're doing, the actual scheduling of, um, of uh, uh, discovery meetings with the client, right? I can reach into the CRM system, get that, put a meeting in Outlook, send them an email. That's the type of orchestration that all of this stuff is good for. And to me, that's, that's the real difference between the systems I use in the back side of the house and what something like Office 365 is good for. Anybody else got a question? That was really well answered as well. Hi, my name is Yusuf, and I come from a web developer background, and then we just got SharePoint 2013 about last year. And uh, a lot of SharePoint for us is locked down. So when, when my boss asked me to make a application, all I've been doing for the last like, for like one year is adding an ASP, ASPX page and using regular HTML, regular JavaScript. And in terms of uh, calling from a list, I use jQuery, get, Ajax, and that's it. And then this is my, this is my second time uh, going to a SharePoint training conference where they use like client-side object model. And I forgot the other one for when you do on the server side. So my question is, um, if the requirements that we get like the most complicated thing we'll ever have to, I'll ever have to do is insert into a list, retrieve from a list, and that's it. Um, do I have any encouragement or any reason to start developing the way that I'm seeing it in these classes, which is using the CSOM, which I've never used before? And uh, you know, when I, make, when I do Visual Studio, I only use it as an HTML editor. I don't use it for a file, new project, uh, um, what it's SharePoint, and so forth. So, um, do I have any encouragement to enter that field? 
they just ha handed me the microphone. So I think I think part of your question is why SharePoint, right? I mean, it sounds like you're uh, from a web development standpoint, and, and and this isn't unusual. I could sort of build this much more easily in another way, right? Why do I have to use SharePoint to? hold all the data and stuff. And that's a fair question. I think it's a, a reasonable question that we've kicked around our, uh, you know, amongst ourselves. I think that the, the reason SharePoint is good is that it does a lot of the work for you, even though it may not feel like it. You know, identity management is a, it's, it's a bear to deal with. Permission management, um, you know, working with, working on keeping the data structured in such a way that end users can look at it and understand it. So it actually does a lot more for you than you may think. Um, from when, when your users are, are using it, okay? As a developer, you may look at it and say, I could build this some other way and it would be easier. Fair, fair point. Um, but I, I think it would be harder than you think. I think that, I think that um, what you're describing as your development style is actually the way of the future, right? I mean, you're using HTML and you're using JavaScript, and then you're making decisions about how you want to deploy those applications that you're building using those tools, you don't have to use Visual Studio. You don't have to use any particular deployment me method like the add-in model, but it, it, it's one way that you can go. And you can build, you still build up libraries of functionality that are gonna serve you as building blocks to build multiple applications. So I, I, I think you're probably coming at it with the right mindset, even though it might not feel like it. Um, and and uh, by by using SharePoint as the repository for that data, you get a lot of richness for your end users that you'd have to build otherwise. Yeah, I think two, two things there, sorry Andrew, was that um, the one thing I've seen in enterprises where they use SharePoint over, like to Mark's comment, I could build as a web dev and use SQL for the data store and you know, build in whatever UI I like, is that it enforces a consistency across the enterprise. I've worked into organizations where you know, they'll hire a consultant for six months and he's a, a .NET guy and he likes MySQL and so he'll build it using that and then there'll be another consultant they'll hire and he'll be liking SQL and he'll like NBC and not web forms. And so you, there's a consistency that gets kind of spread out a little bit whereas having SharePoint and using SharePoint lists and libraries and leveraging SharePoint search and the workflow, it, it's made those decisions on what, what things you use in your toolbox as building blocks on top. Um, to answer your other question around, you know, do I need to use Visual Studio? Um, I actually have a podcast coming out next Thursday with Mark Rackley, who does similar work to Mark Anderson in terms of what you've explained there. And the big thing that I raise around, well, you can definitely do that directly in the page and add your JavaScript and, and make those changes live. But the question I always have for the, that approach is that you're doing that work in production. So when you're making changes, you're effectively making changes in a real world business scenario on that page live in prod. The minute that you go, okay, I'm gonna have a dev environment of SharePoint and I'm gonna do those changes. You can do those changes in dev and you can show your business users, this is the change we're gonna do. But then you've got to manually go and make all those changes in production. And I think whenever you're doing manual changes between development environments, whether it's dev, test, pre-prod, production, you always make mistakes where you forget to make the change in the JavaScript file, which is part of the overall thing, or you forget to upload some images or some CSS that you've added as an additional thing in here. What the Visual Studio approach does of that, that package is, is that you just drop that package into that environment, and you're basically, rather than doing those deployment changes manually, you're 
defining what those artifacts are. And so the, the benefit there is, is that if a new developer drops in, there's a standardized way of doing deployment in each of those environments. And I think for me, that's the main reason I see enterprises move away from doing those things directly in the pages in production, or even development and doing it manually and moving over to that packaging model. So one of the things that I heard Jeremy just say, let me just, um, well, let me just kind of rebut one of the things that Jeremy said. You, you don't, it's not a either or thing with Visual Studio. Visual Studio is an editor. What, to me, what I hear what Jeremy's saying is you want to make sure that you have a way to be able to have a good change management process to make your rollouts much more very repeatable and testable and reliable. And doing it manually, you're introducing an option to have a lot of, to have a lot of issues there. But you don't, that doesn't mean that you have to use Visual Studio to get that effect. Visual Studio is a tool. There are tons of tools out there. It's more or less, it's a tool that's going to help you with a practice. So you want to follow the practice of like what he's saying. Um, but Visual Studio is just one of those tools that does it. Um, the other thing, I, I don't use Visual Studio hardly at all anymore. I, well, I don't use Visual Studio proper. It has to have a name now. I use something called Visual Studio Code, a different editor that they've, that they've put out there, um, just because I like the lightweightness of it. But I can still get the same practice done of what I was doing before with Visual Studio. The other thing, too, that I would just, I would just get you to think about this with, to respect to your exact question. Um, you say, you know, I, I sit here in these sessions and I'm doing things with jQuery to pull stuff back from a RESTful service and then to show and to, uh, to, uh, to write it back to a SharePoint list or to get the data out and show it on the page. I see people using CSOM. Why should I have to use CSOM? Here's the neat, one of the coolest things about, about SharePoint. One of the, it's one of the greatest things and it's been one of the most irritating things to people coming into SharePoint for the longest time. It goes along with what I was saying earlier. There's not one way to do anything. There's like 10 different ways of doing things. The bad part is, is that there's a few of those that are pretty good landmines you want to stay away from. But I can't tell you that if you sit there and you use REST and jQuery to pull to get data out, like Mark is going to use jQuery, uh, or Mark or Mark, Mark wow. Rackley or Mark Anderson are going to use jQuery or they're going to or, or different tools to go through to pull data out and working with REST. Somebody else is going to favor CSOM. One person's not right, one person's not wrong. Me personally, I can't stand using CSOM. I absolutely hate it. I'd rather you, and I don't like using jQuery. I love using REST. I can achieve the same thing that you're doing with Angular and with using just raw REST or using Knockout, easy, just doing simple queries um, to get data back. But they're just different tools and different options. You could very easily, just in a session you were sitting in today, and if someone's saying you should be using CSOM, you could look at it and just say, I don't need it. I can get my stuff done. The session I did earlier today, I talked about a technology called um, TypeScript. Somebody could look at that and just say, yeah, I'm not interested. I'm just going to do pure old JavaScript. That's totally cool. It's the cool thing is, is that we have a tool chest now of tons of tools, tons of technologies and things that SharePoint has given us or, or Office 365 has given us to do different tasks. And we can choose the one that suits best our needs, what's the best for the scenario, or frankly, what I want to do today. So it's up to you. You get different options. You feel free to dismiss a lot of the stuff that, um, well, that especially like some of us say. <laughs> so uh, let me add a different spin on this. You said a minute ago that the most complicated thing you're ever going to be doing is putting things in a list and pulling things out of a list. And I guarantee you the moment you said that, every single one of us thought, no, you're not. 
<laughs> you're coming at it from your experience of having worked with it for a year and you see that as the primary workload that you're dealing with. But if you think about what you're saying, you're working with list items. At some point, you're gonna have a lot of list items and they need to be organized. So you're gonna be working with metadata. Once you've got all that stuff, you're gonna have to find it. So you're gonna be working with search. At some point, you need to get information about users who have put documents into the system. So you're gonna be working with the user profiles, right? You're going to touch more of the stack than you think you are where you stand now. The advantage of using the APIs that are available to you is that you can do that when you need it. And you can work your way up the stack from the least amount of coverage down at the rest level all the way up to the maximum amount of coverage at the server side level and find your comfortable place in between that works for you. So when you do need to go out and access the search service and execute search queries, you can do that from your ASPX page running JavaScript all day long. We have an API for that. The more you learn about SharePoint and what it can do and its capabilities and the APIs that go along with it, the more you'll grow into making richer applications to service your end users. How you do it is up to you. Visual Studio or, or some other text editor, it doesn't make any difference what tools you use, but the, you will find the your usage of the API will grow as your experience with the platform grows. And I would say you're better off now to start learning what's comfortable to you, which is probably the JavaScript object model and REST uh, and what you can do with that and progress to the, uh, you may never use CSOM, that's fine, but you may become a JSON wizard in your organization and that's a perfectly good thing. And last thing, which probably segues into a question he prepped us on next. So um, what we haven't talked about much is, you know, there's more than just one shape of an app in the Office 365-ing, you're welcome, right? So <laughs> what are, where are your users working? If they're in Outlook, maybe they can, you can insert data from a user in Outlook and do this work. So they don't have to do Alt-Tab or learn how to switch, there's a switch of context. I'm finding that resonates a lot to people who say, well, you know what, I'm in Excel all day, every day, and if I need to get our data in or out, I don't have to leave Excel to do that if I use new AdML. So just keep that in mind. You're not just locked into lists. It's like, well, where, where are you hosting your application? Right now, you think IIS or SharePoint, but in the future, it could be a lot different. Does anyone else have a final question they wanted a burning to ask? Anybody? Okay, there was one, or oh, there's two. They were quick. So wait, if you wait for the microphone, that'd be awesome. So this may be like questioning information on if a service will be uh, available. So are companies planning to purchase a third party tool for exporting to PDF office documents? So I was, I wanted to find out if there are any services that are going to be available from Microsoft to do it like programmatically from yeah, SharePoint. That's a good or question. Something like that. Um, so, in, so basically, is there a way of using an API to convert a document, like a Word document, to a PDF? Um, so, and like Excel or PowerPoint. So, right now in the Office client, you can do that um, using the COM add ins. But what we recommend is you don't like go and write a website and install Office on a web server and use the COM add in approach to do the exports PDF because there's quite big licensing implications there. If you're on an enterprise cow, you don't have that problem. If you're an ISV, you don't really want to tie yourself to using that because then you've got to tell your customers when they install their products to install Office on that box. Um, so that way you would need to use a component like Component One or um, Aspos, PDF or, or, or the like. What, what we have coming out, um, which we talked about in October actually at TechEd Europe was where we have the mail, calendar, contacts, 
files APIs that are available now and all joined together in that new unified API endpoint that CJ mentioned in the keynote, is we're adding additional API endpoints there. Uh, and ones we're working on right now is the, um, what we call the document, the spreadsheets, and the presentation API endpoints. And what that will allow you to do is do things like, I know there's a document living in OneDrive for Business or in a file in a document library, and I want to add one slide to that document, but I want to download that document in memory, add the slide, and then re-upload the document. I just want to send uh, a snippet of OpenXML up to the server and say, this is the document, this is where I want to put it in the document. So it's a lot less chatty, and the work's being done on our, in our system. In addition to that, there'll be uh, methods available that will just say, I want to export pages one to six as a, a PDF format or an XPS, XPS format as part of those API endpoints. Now, to start with, like everything we do now, it'll first appear in SharePoint, sorry, or Office 365 as a, as a platform. And depending on where that lives, uh, and I, to be honest, I don't know the answer to if that's a SharePoint thing or not, um, but if it is something that we can move down and make it installable as part of SharePoint Server, that would be available in the on-premises version as well. Um, I can't guarantee that yet, and it'd be something that I can go and dig out, um, and something you could ask on Yammer as well. But um, that's the intention of that service. Um, but yeah, just be very conscious of using the com add-in approach um, on the box because of the licensing implications. And also, you know, a lot of times your IT admins won't let you install Office on a, on a server box as well. Mr. AC, that was another one, cool. Yeah, my company. Um, yeah, my Light company. Um, uh, Light Outers had a lot of investment. So what's Microsoft? So what's Microsoft? What's Microsoft? What's Microsoft? Did he whisper in your ear too? <laughs> okay, I can answer this. Um, so look, I'll be very, very open and honest. And in, just as a bit of a joke, the the Dev Intersections conference a few weeks ago was kind of like. Scott Hanselman and the Goo and all these guys on the stage and they're all asking about Edge and HoloLens and Windows 10 running on a um, on a, a, root, a Raspberry Pi and then the only Office question that came out in the entire open open mix session was <laughs> what the hell's happening to InfoPath? So nothing. <laughs> so at TechEd last year, we well actually at SBC in March, just before I joined Microsoft, um, our team basically said that uh, InfoPath was being deprecated and that we would support it until you know 10 years down the line. Um, but the reality is, if I walk into Building 35 or 34 on campus in Redmond and I try and find the PM that owns InfoPath, uh, you won't find them. Um, so there's absolutely no work going on on InfoPath as a product. What we initially thought would happen, and I actually got previewed it, and some of these guys on the stage actually got shown it too in March of last year, was a, uh, a replacement solution uh, for, for that. But it wasn't ever going to cover all of Info, what InfoPath did, but it covered a, a fair amount of it and did it in a much better way that meant that it wasn't just on a desktop, but it worked on mobile and was responsive and, and scaled a lot better than what InfoPath did. Unfortunately, what happened was is that engineering team slipped and slipped and slipped and slipped. And where we thought we were going to have really good, bright, shiny news in October of last year, that didn't happen. We have a moment every six months, which is what CJ mentioned in the keynote. So we thought by March this year at Build and Ignite, we'd have all this shiny new stuff to show you guys, and it didn't. It slipped. And part of that was to do with a reorg within Microsoft, which now I've been there for nearly 18 months. 
Reorgs happen a lot. And unfortunately what happens is that people get moved and priorities change and this product got shifted. Um, and what actually happened was there was a conflict with another team within Microsoft. And so it's delayed and stalled this new approach coming out. The one Microsoft thing has been enforced across not just Office, but Windows and Azure. And in actual fact, what's happened is, is there was a solution being built in another part of the organization called Project Sienna. Um, if any of you guys have used that, it's a Windows universal application, um, which you can download now in preview. Um, and it allows you to build these form these business forms. Now, they're not as complex as, as what you could do with, with InfoPath right now. Um, but the, the, the scenario here now is, is that we're taking all the learnings from that other project and something that also was going on in Azure and, and bringing those all together into one, one Microsoft type solution as a form solution moving forward. Um, project Sienna is still in beta. You can go up to the website. I believe it's just projectsienna.com. But if you just bingle Project Sienna, it will come up. And you'll be able to see what that path is. I'm hoping by the next major moment, which is going to be October timeframe, we'll actually be able to disclose that and show it to you guys and show that future. So for now, um, it's business as usual with InfoPath, knowing there's no net new features and we're not killing it till 20, 20 something. something. I'm not going to quote it. I think it's 2026. But, um, but there will be another solution coming through. And from what I've seen, it's great. But there's just been a little bit of change internally that's impacted the releases thing. And I get it. I was an InfoPath guy for a long time in Australia. And it was a powerful um, product. But again, just like SharePoint, you get 80% through a project and then realize that, that last 20% you couldn't do an InfoPath. And then you'd have to try and revisit it as a you know, web forms project or something. And so what we're trying to do with this new product is make it so that it's extendable, so that when you hit that 80% hurdle, you can get over it and make whatever you've done natively out of the box extendable and, and meet those 20% that you couldn't do in the, in the past. Um, the other side of the house, so that's the honest open we're at. The other side of the house is we are recommending ISVs. And there's a blog post going out next week, I believe, on particular software options that are available, uh, like Nintex forms, like K2 um, forms, that can be used in an enterprise scenario to build kind of that business forms capturing method. But there is something that we're working on that we will hopefully, and it, it looks like it's back on path now, be able to disclose later in the year. So thank you for the info part of the question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well look, we're, we're running out of time and I know you guys want to break for your next session. So thanks for the questions. I really appreciate you guys sitting up here and giving your open, honest, kind of non-tamed Kool-Aid version of the answers. And um, this show will be recorded, so thank you for everyone listening up in the cloud. And um, we are here for the next two days, so if there are other questions, you know, leverage this time to speak to us because you know we can do it over the over the tubes in Yammer and over Twitter. But having us in person is a great way and, and really leverage that. That's what I get the most out of the conferences is is speaking to you guys. And I hope you can get that too. So enjoy the rest of the conference. And I believe there's drinks at poolside later on too. So we will definitely be in there because there's drinks involved. If you haven't known anything about speakers yet, alcohol usually influences where we go later on after this thing. So we'll see you there for more discussions later on. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365 dev podcast yam. 
or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.